Welcome to The Howler, your weekly look into the state of Wolfpack Athletics. Now let's go to your hosts, Drew Blevins and Nick Sinopoli. And we welcome you to another edition of The Howler. I'm Drew Blevins, joined by Nick Sinopoli as always. We are prepared to bring you the state of Wolfpack Athletics. As always, our production is brought to you by the fine folks at White Street Brewery in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Go ahead and check them out whenever you get an opportunity. Fantastic craft beer products, award-winning in fact, and it has just been a wonderful time to have them sponsor us here on the Howler. Nick, it's been a while since we've gotten together. Certainly a whole lot to talk about. We've got football, we've got basketball, both men's and women's. We've got a women's soccer team that's doing something historic and special, and we've got a hockey team that's doing quite the opposite. Oh yeah, we've got an exciting show uh, out there for the listeners tonight. I'm, I'm just ready to get into it, Drew. Well, let's go ahead and start things off with a football team that really hasn't had a whole lot of reason to be excited until you see the matchup that you had this week, where the only downside was that you know you're going to have to play on the road in the Carrier Dome against the Syracuse Orange. You know, whenever you go in on a four-game losing streak, it can be tough to psych yourself up to play. And you've got a Syracuse team led by Dino Babers who pulled off an upset against Virginia Tech who is not a bad football team. You knew they were going to be shorthanded without Eric Dungy at quarterback and having to play Zach Mahoney instead. But, you know, it was interesting to watch the way this football game developed because Syracuse actually took the lead. They were up 7 nothing, and I for sure thought this was the biggest trap game on NC State's schedule if there ever was one. But credit to Dave Dorn and his staff, and credit to the players. Eli Drinkwitz called an excellent football game as the offensive coordinator, and NC State comes out with the W35-20. to Let's go ahead and just start out with your general impressions of that football game. Well, first of all, I'd like to point out I did not think it was a trap game, mostly because you would consider a trap game to be a team who is on the rise and having a surprising season and then playing a team that could upset them, and um, it, this wasn't a trap game in that stretch that means because NC State was on a four-game losing streak. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I I thought they played nicely. Um, If you ask me, I think they should have won by more. I would uh, agree with that. Yeah. um, I I thought it was going to be that the defense had the bigger task at hand because Syracuse does have a high-powered offense. You know, I remember a couple games back when they played Notre Dame, they were both – I think they each had, you know, 30, 20 points, something in the Just first Just up half. and down, yeah. Up and down. But I like what I saw from the defense. You know, Bradley Chubb has had a uh, couple quiet games this these past through couple weeks, and he had a heck of a game, led the team in tackles, led the team in sacks with two, and uh, a good set I like to point out, you know, tackles for loss. He had four of those, so uh, he's having a stellar junior campaign. Hopefully he'll be back next year. But, yeah, honestly, I think the, the story of that game was the defense. Because first half, I, I believe it was Syracuse had been held to the lowest play totals in, in their first half of the season. I think it was, I want to say, 27. So I liked what I saw from the defense. The offense, it was good. Uh, they brought Jalen Samuels back in the offense. He had over 100 total yards of offense, 66 receiving, 26 rushing. So overall, it was a good performance. It'll be interesting to see what they can do moving forward uh, towards the end of the season. Well, you hit on some of the key names that I wanted to talk about for sure. Bradley Chubb is tops in the ACC for tackles for loss. 
that equals fourth in the FBS for tackles and loss. Which is incredible. Well, it really is considering he's playing for a football team that is just hanging on at 500 right now. And good for him, too, because he was a guy who had remarked that he wanted to be one of those premier defensive line players, and he's gone from being criticized in the first two or three games of the season, and now he's backing up his talk. And that's exciting to see. I also do want to talk a little bit about the quarterback, Ryan Finley, because Finley got banged up in that football game, and Jalen McClendon had to come in and take a few snaps and lead a few drives. But at the end of the day, Ryan Finley, 20 for 29, 340 yards passing, a touchdown sack twice. Matt Days also goes over 100 yards rushing. He nets 108, three touchdowns, and he was just a workhorse for that NC State team. You talked about Jalen Samuels as well, finally finding a way to incorporate him into the offense. And when you look at the receiving totals, Kelvin Harmon goes under, uh, excuse me, rather, over 100 yards with that 68-yard touchdown pitch and catch from Ryan Finley that was the touchdown that really sort of took the air out of the carrier dome. Huge play for Kelvin Harmon, such a young talent, and you've got to be excited when you watch that guy play because, in my opinion right now, I think he's the hottest player on this NC State team, especially offensively. You can make the... uh, you could make the argument that maybe Bradley Chubb overall, but when you look at this right now, Kelvin Harmon is a special player. Naheem Hines, not to be uh, overlooked, 73 yards receiving as he follows up the Florida State going off performance with another solid one here against the Syracuse Orange. But overall, it looked like NC State was firing on all cylinders. The defense really did a nice job to hold Syracuse in check. And I think a lot of that, again, had to do with Zach Mahoney. I'm not sure if Eric Dungy had been in there that NC State would have cruised by two scores. But I want to get back into your comments when you said, and I agree with you when you say this, NC State should have won by more. Can you elaborate a little bit on that for us? Well, in time of possession, NC State dominated. I mean, for the majority of the game, I know, besides the first quarter, I guess you could say, NC State did get off to a sluggish start. But I thought NC State dominated the entirety of the game. I thought that you know special teams kind of got into play there with a blocked punt. Uh, that kept Syracuse in the game. But uh, this was an NC State team that I thought was going to just – it was going to be you know the hot or the cold, you know one or the other. I thought they were either going to – drive up to Syracuse, lay a goose egg up there after the hangover from Florida State. That loss, that loss was devastating for the Wolfpack fans. Or it was going to be a game like this, you know, where they really dominate time of possession. But, yeah, um, I mean, I see Ryan Finley with only one touchdown, the lone 68-yard uh, grab by Kelvin Harmon. I mean, I guess you can attribute that, that attribute to the fact that Ryan Finley went out for a little bit and there was two interceptions by Jalen McClendon on solid drives, one of them in the red zone. I think that was another reason why we see that Jalen McClendon is not the starter. I think Ryan Finley has the better football IQ. So despite McClendon's interception, I guess you could say this is definitely a 42-20 football game. I agree with that, Nick. I I think that the other thing, though, that a couple people are going to underscore or overlook in this football game is the fact that NC State did not play tremendously on special teams. And A.J. Cole has been an excellent punter, but against Syracuse, he only punts punts four times, which isn't bad. You'll never complain about that. For 112 yards, it's his lowest punt average of the season at 28 yards per punt. He also has one blocked. And I think NC State really shot themselves in the foot in that category. And to be honest with you, Nick, 
I'm surprised that we're still having this discussion about NC State special teams because I thought this was going to be a problem that was going to be solved with Connor Haskins, and the field goal kicking has been just absolutely terrible. Yeah. And and good for Connor Haskins stepping in. It looks like it's his job now, and rightfully so, when you've got career 50% kicker Kyle Bambard coming in. But the special teams weren't great for NC State, I didn't think. Syracuse took advantage of that. And the other thing that we got a little bit of a glimpse into is what Edatawo as a receiver can do for Syracuse. Their number one guy was their number one guy. And I thought he was particularly impressive, Amba Edatawo. And NC State, once again, could not cover a quality receiver. And that's something they haven't struggled with as much this year. It's been the run game that's really cost them is what it looks like. Lamar Jackson ran all over him. Dalvin Cook had a couple of quality runs against Florida State, even though he was held low on yardage. But I do think there were still some weaknesses in that football game. And I think it was also that's part of the reason that NC State uh, wins by only a margin of 15. You know, we can blame the special teams. In this game, I don't think special teams is really the problem. I mean, I'm not going to be upset with a 15-point win by the Wolfpack. Oh, no, not at the, all. The, the, I mean, yeah, the block punts, they happen, you know. Thankfully, it happened in a game where it wasn't really close. But for this, I mean, it's been a the headline of the entire season that NC State does not have a secondary. They've been relying on their front seven, and it is a good front seven. You've got Bradley Chubb, Contavia Street, Darian Roseboro, B.J. Hill, and then linebackers. B.J. Hill has had a tremendous oh, season. Oh, tremendous season. And, you know, linebackers Jaron Fernandez and Dravis Wright and Aries Moore, those guys are having a great season, great seasons. It's just the secondary. I mean, outside of Sean Boone, who is there? I mean, Jack Tocho's a captain on the Justin team. Justin Jones. Justin, I mean, yeah, Justin Jones, T- Jack Tocho, those guys, those guys aren't doing much. And well, I, if, and, you, and if Sean, you ask me. Sean if, Boone, you've got to be careful because he's I think he is the with, best. I think he's the best player on the NC State defense, if you ask me. Really? Really? I, I think really? he has not missed a tackle this season, Drew. I, you know? I mean, okay, okay. I, I love Bradley Chubb. Wrote an article uh, on him for the technician. Love talking to him. Great guy. I think he's having an incredible season. Don't want him to leave because he's having a great season. I don't season. think he is going to leave. You don't think he's going to leave? Okay, we'll, 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 we'll get to that in a little bit. I mean, he's fourth in FBS in t- tackles for a loss. You said that earlier. I think Sean Boone, I might, I'm going to go and say that because he's the most consistent player on the NC State defense. Bradley Chubb had a couple of cold streaks during the season, had a, had two or three games where he didn't play too hot in ACC play, didn't start off the year right. Sean Boone has been the most consistent player on this NC State defense, but I know fans are probably still going to point back to that should have interception against Florida State that would have sealed the game. Exactly. But I exactly. like Sean Boone. I think he's going to go in the draft this year. And I think he's definitely, a, I think he's a mid-round pick. I like what he's doing. And I think he's, I, I mean, when I look to the secondary, that's why I look as the leader. Not Jack Tocho. Jack, Jack Tocho gets burnt every fifth play. So, this, the only reason this defense, the only reason NC State is 5-5 five and five and not 3-7 and seven is that front seven. I mean, I, that defensive really? line is, if you ask me that defensive line, one of the best in the ACC. Up there with Clemson for sure. I would disagree with that completely, actually. And I think the defense has had some excellent games. I think that, I mean... When you play your cupcake schedule at home to begin the season in the first four weeks and you drop a game to the only real opponent you played, that's pretty sorry in my book. But 
I don't know if the defense has truly won a football game for NC State yet. Oh, I mean, you're right in that you, you look, You look at the five games that were played, and NC State scores, what was the lowest point total they had? 33 against Wake Forest? I mean, when your offense is putting up 30-plus points per win, a defense just sort of has to show up and do the job. And yeah. And they do that. They're the most consistent part. That's why they've been winning games. Because, okay, okay, in Clemson, so think about it. Okay, just, hold on, hold on. Okay, hold on. We're just throwing Louisville all right, all right, all right. out. Okay, we're throwing I'm throwing Louisville, Louisville out, out because guess what? Because guess what? I've got two words for you. Lamar Jackson, the guy's going to win the Heisman. There's no arguing that. He's going to win the Heisman. He is the best quarterback in the country right now. Now, that doesn't mean he's the Is best. he the best or he's the most explosive? Most, most explosive, most best statistical performances. I think Deshaun Johnson, Deshaun Watson's overrated, but that's another story. In that game, the be- if you ask me the best game of the year by NC State defense is definitely against Clemson. It was a loss, but, but see, it wasn't the offense they, that kept them in the game. All they had to do was worry about Deshaun. And I talked about this when we did the show prior to the Clemson game. They did what they had to do, and they eliminated the run game. Granted, it was under unfortunate circumstances. And, you know, by rulebook definition... It's a very borderline hit that Dravius Wright lays on Wayne Gallman. Oh, it's not. It's not a foul. Let's get over that. Keep going, but though. What you had there is at that point you're containing a one-dimensional offense. You know the only threat was going to be the pass game from Deshaun Watson. If you if you hold Deshaun Watson to 24 not, points, he's not as fast. He is not as fast as Lamar Jackson. So you knew if you thought he was going to run, all you had to do was a simple one-man linebacker spy. That's all you had to do. But when you have when you have like a linebacker, my high like, school's defense and my high school doesn't have a football oh God, team. My high school's defense could have done that. Oh my gosh, we're not going to downplay the Heisman winner. Of, no, he's not the Heisman winner last year. Excuse me, the, the, the Heisman one of the candidate Heisman front runners, front runners yeah. last year, guy who led his team to the BCS national championship game. We're going to just say, oh, a high school defense could do that. I disagree. I think Deshaun Watson's Without overrated. Wayne I think Deshaun Watson's overrated, but I think it's still Deshaun Watson in that Clemson offense. Look at what he did during. I think one of the best parts of Deshaun Watson's game is running that four-minute offense. It's great. He gets down the field quick, and we saw that against NC State going into the second half that game. So, credit to him, but I thought the difference in that game was NC State forced turnovers. They don't do that a lot. They forced two turnovers against Syracuse, but I think that's that's the the best one. I, I think, yes, they did give the ball up that game. So, I think that's the best game because... It's Clemson, and they held them to such little points, and it's Deshaun Watson. I know Trevor Gallman's out of the game, but still. Wayne, Wayne Gallman. Excuse me. <laughs> no worries. And, and I agree with you. I'm not disagreeing. That is the best defensive performance NC State had. But it but you're going to say that they're, they're not cons- – you're going to say that the offense is more consistent than the defense. That's what you're trying to say. No, the argument I have is the defense hasn't won a football game for NC State yet. If that – if if now oh – my gosh, it's a big if as an NC because State fan. Because now, here's, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. If Sean Boone comes up with that interception against Florida State, the, the, the defense wins the football game. Yeah. If Kyle Bambard makes his blessed field goal, and I know Coach Dave Doran would not like to revisit that again – because right now, that's one of the defining moments of his career. You had a top five upset in your grasp, and you blew it. But if Kyle Bambard makes that kick, the defense wins the football game. There's no doubt in my mind on either of those facts. But once again, we come back to NC State doing NC State stuff and finding ways to lose football games. Yeah. 
I'm I'm very happy for Dave Doran and company that they actually got to see another win this season because heading down the pipe it's going to get even tougher. You know, looking forward the way the way this season has gone, I would not be I don't think we will lose these next two games. And I, I lose both of them. I think we will win at least one because that is just So you think NC that, State's going to a bowl game? Yeah. I'm not I wouldn't be surprised because the way NC State goes is just just the way she goes is that out of the amount of disappointment you can have in one season, you'll end this season average and then go into a bowl game and get blown out. We saw that last year against Mississippi State and Dak Prescott, and, you know, you know, I thought Dak Prescott was overrated, but apparently not. You know, he's tearing it up in the NFL. But I know people are calling for Doran's head. It's not going to happen this year, no, even if not. we lose out. It's not. It's not going to happen. Five and seven. Because, it's just not going to happen because. See, the only way it could have happened is if um, if you had lost out from Clemson beyond, and including losing to North Carolina. That's the only way it could have possibly yeah, happened. I you're think. Right. Yeah. You're but right. here's the frustrating thing with that, and and we're about to preview the Miami. Game. I, I'm just going to say I would not be surprised at all if NC State beats Miami and UNC. Would not be surprised. I would be just in utter shock if NC State beats North Carolina. I would be in utter shock because I still think I think UNC, they, I think I think they beat Miami more than they beat UNC. If that makes sense, more well, likely and, to beat Miami. <laughs> Here's the thing with Miami, though they are a pesky little team, and we'll preview these next two football games right here and right now. Miami has an excellent head coach, Mark Richt. I have been a Mark Rick fan since he was at Georgia, and the one thing I hated is that Georgia typically gave my Alabama Crimson Tide a very, very good run whenever they played. But you've got Brad Kaya, experienced quarterback. I would think he's going in the draft. You've got a two-headed running attack with Mark Walton and Joseph Yearby, which is highly exciting to watch, tough to defend. And you've got a couple of nice receivers out there with Stacey Coley and Malik Mayweather, that are providing a little bit of offense on the outside as well, and that is where Kaya is going to be going. He's not necessarily using the tight end position. You're not going to see a lot of stuff on the slot. Everything's going to be out at the numbers, which means all the defensive pressure gets shifted to the outside with your cornerbacks once again, and that's where NC State's had the weakness. I think the big battle coming up in this football game is does Brad Kaya's experience of snap and ball out quickly outmatch an NC State front seven. Again, you're looking at the cornerbacks being in a tough position going up against this receiving core, but you're putting a lot of pressure on the front seven again to get pressure to Brad Kaya and make him get the ball out quickly, which is something that he already does very well. Yeah, I think I don't necessarily think the key in this game is to get a lot of pressure on Brad Kaya because I think he's just going to get that ball out quick. Um, it would be nice to see the. De- I mean, I I think the defense will get its pressure. You know, pressure. I think it. You know, get a sack maybe too. But this just isn't a good matchup for NC State on paper because of the secondary. And versus yet, the you think NC State is going to find a way to do this? I mean, it's a better matchup on paper than UNC. Well, me. Yeah, obviously. But I mean, for Miami. I mean, if that makes sense. no, I think. I think Miami has a better chance of winning this game. But, like, it's just that I'm just – nothing surprises me anymore, you know, following NC State athletics. And I can 
logic that by saying everything doesn't surprise me because you never know what's going to happen with this team. Right. And, you know, I, I'm looking at this Miami defense just to sort of see where Ryan Finley's going to run into some difficulty. They've got a couple of good guys on the defensive line. Demetrius Jackson is somebody I really enjoy watching. Gerald Willis as well. I, I think it does come down also, and, and don't forget Shaquille Quarterman at the linebacker position. Oh God, that yeah. That's really where you're going to see a lot of pressure coming from with a linebacker blitz. I'm going to see something similar with like Miami's defense, kind of see if they can emulate what Boston College did trying to shut down Matt Days because I think he's the – the catalyst to that offense. You know, if Matt Days gets going, then everyone he facilitates the entire offense. And that's very true. I also think that NC State has enough offensive firepower, enough offensive talent, that at any given point, anybody can go off. Because if you told me in the Florida State game, the star is going to be Naheem Hines, I would have laughed at you. I would have said the only way he's a star is if he's returning a kick. But when you go for over 100 yards receiving and you get your career high against Florida State, who is no schmuck of a football team, that's impressive. Yeah, I mean, talk about Naheem Hines a little bit. He's having a good season. I think, honestly, with NC State, it's early in the season it became of who's going to have a big game, Jalen Samuels or Naheem Hines, because they're kind of similar players. They're kind of those guys who could play anywhere on the offense. You've got Jalen Samuels out there, you know, taking a taking a halfback, you know, uh, pitch, or Jalen Samuels in the slot. I mean, Naheem Hines in the slot, excuse me. So they're kind of the same players. So while we will argue and say, you know, feed J-Sam the ball, while he's not getting the ball, Naheem Hines is still doing great stuff. So, you know, once after this year, it's going to be interesting to see how they incorporate both those guys in the offense because – while they're teammates, I think they butt heads in the amount of like the touches category. Well, and the other thing is, if you want to look at the special teams, just in case anything did get close, and you know, for those of you who have listened to the show, I always like to preview the kickers. Michael Badgley has been nothing but money for the Miami Hurricanes. Just a very enjoyable kicker. Justin Vogel, good senior punter. I don't think he outmatches A.J. Cole, but NC State is going to have to drive deep on most of their offensive drives if they want to have a chance to not let Vogel's punting ability really affect the outcome of this football game. Any final thoughts on the football team, uh, Miami or otherwise, as we come down the stretch here? NC State is one win away from bowl eligibility. If they're able to secure that victory, it is the third straight bowl game under Dave Doran, which is something I think everybody is overlooking. NC State fans are tired of mediocrity. They have been calling for his head, but now I do believe you start to see a little bit of a shift to turn in the tide. The waters are going to settle a little bit if he makes a bowl game because that is your measuring stick of success in college football. But uh, any, any final thoughts that you have? You know, whether he wins out or whether he loses out, as an NC State fan, you can't be too surprised because – NC State flirts with mediocrity every season. In every flirts sport. with it? I think they're right in the middle of it. Oh, right in the middle of it. You know, maybe flirts with excellence. You know, I heard a commentator again uh, for the Florida State game talking about the, excuse me, Syracuse, talking about NC State's talent, that once you see these guys walk off the bus, you can't tell the difference between NC State, Florida State, and Clemson. But when they're on the field, you can obviously tell the difference. And it's not a player mindset. It's the coaching. 
You know, you can hire whoever it is off the street and put them in, you know, tackle or defensive line. And if they suck, it's not the player's fault. It's the development that the coaches are implementing on that team. Well, and the other thing is when you've got enough talent and your guys in the locker room know you have enough talent to be able to compete with Clemson, Louisville, and Florida State, and NC State did for two out of those three opponents, and you're coming up short, That, to me, that all goes back to the coaching. And I don't know who it is. I don't know if it's Dave Doran. I don't know if it's Dave Huxtable, Eli Drinkwitz. But somebody is not doing an excellent job as a motivator, in my opinion. And, and that could potentially have negative effects down the stretch. I think in some cases we've already seen the negative effects. But we'll have the coaching discussion later for another episode. Somebody whose job should firmly be intact, at least for a little while, considering he signed an extension not too long ago, is Mark Gottfried. And Mark Gottfried and his boys just started a new season where the games start to count two impressive performances in the exhibition game. And it all comes down to opening night. No repeats of William & Mary. William & Mary was a good basketball team, had a lot of senior talent, shot the lights out in Raleigh. There was no chance whatsoever that the Georgia Southern Eagles were going to come in and be able to hang with the NC State Wolfpack. Right, Nick? Oh, but wait. Oh. It gets and, better. And I would like to go on record. Oh, you I called have, it? You I, called it, didn't you? I did. I knew that the beginning of this season wasn't going to be the cakewalk that everybody thought it was going to be. And, again, it wasn't that difficult to call. I think of our colleague Ethan Barry, who said, I think NC State will have their nights where they struggle because there is so much talent and you still have to get used to playing with each other on this basketball team, sharing the rock. But I got to tell you, that was a terrible performance against the Georgia Southern Eagles. As a team, individuals went off, and it was nice yep. to see the individuals who went off go off because it was some of the guys you didn't have last year, and Mark Godfrey had remarked that he really wanted to play last year. But, I mean, come on. Did this, did this not just bring back memories of of last season for you sitting there? Because you were covering the game. You were up on press level. Yeah. You saw the whole thing. Because when I was listening to this on the radio, heading down to High Point to call the hockey game, I thought to myself, oh boy, this is about to be rinse, repeat from last season's season opener. Because Georgia Southern had the lead for a fair amount of that second half. Oh yeah, I was watching the game. At the press level, behind my boy Jay Cole, that was pretty cool. But um, <laughs> moving on, just had so to, had to move that. I had, in there. had to name drop, you know, where you had best buds. Just kidding. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the first ten minutes looked like a solid basketball team. Uh, they were up twenty five twelve. Terry Henderson went off. You know, was three of seven from the behind the arc in the first half. He looked good. Um, talked to Mark Godfrey after the game. He was saying that this is going to be Terry's team. He didn't say that, but I think that's what he said. He 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 gives he gives the team a calming effect. He's kind of the unsung leader of this team, and I agree. You know, he's a redshirt senior. He had to sit out all of last season with that uh with that ankle injury, which really sucks. And I think most of the team really respects that. You know, he had a great game, had twenty three points on the night. But yeah, I agree, Drew. That team didn't look good, and I think you kind of saw of what the guard play might be this season because George the the reason Georgia Southern was in that that basketball game was the rebounding. 
Now, you could say, how are they in, in the rebounding game? You know, um, Abu and Doran both had double-doubles on the night. Torin Doran, I think, had 12 points with 11 rebounds, and Abu had 15 with 11. And they had great nights, but, yeah, it was it was a little shaky. Um, you know, I really think that this is a young team, young, talented team, that really just has to figure out what they want to do. Because that guard play, not a lot of teams are used to that, and I don't think NC State is used to that either. Well, when I'm looking at this, there are a couple of red flags that pop up for me. All five starters go in double figures. That's tremendous. No complaints here. Here are the red flags. Guess how many bench points? The entire ball game. Okay, hold up. Uh, all right, so I'm thinking, okay, we got BJ. We got Darius Hicks. Um, Markel Johnson. Rowan was on the bench that game, though. Rowan was a starter that game. Never mind. Um, Markel, Markel Johnson didn't have any points. Hicks didn't have any points. I'm going to say you had four. So close. B.J. Anya had three. A all field right, he had goal a field and goal. a free throw. Yep. Field goal and free throw. That was you it. had three bench points. Yep. And all we've heard about is there's finally depth on the bench. You might can go deeper than seven or eight. Nope. Try again. Now, granted, that's a slight overreaction. Yeah, it is. Because Omer Yurtsevin is not eligible yet. Ted Capita Ted, Ted Capita did that. not play in that game. But you got three bench points. Yeah. And right. Hicks and Johnson were supposed to be able to score the ball. Johnson goes 0 for 2 on his field goal attempts, 0 for 1 behind the arc. Darius Hicks doesn't take a shot, misses his free throw. Other red flag, your two big men that you're stuck with for the remaining now seven games until Omer Yurtsevin. Abu and Anya, four personal fouls with four minutes to go. You got to be conservative in that sense. That's that's a red flag. You cannot go down the stretch in the ACC when you've got big men who have four fouls, and especially when both of them have four fouls. And certainly, you never want to get in the situation, not that I think you would, where you've got potentially three of them who would have four fouls. That's just not going to cut it. Terry Henderson, very nice night. Eh. Three threes in the first half. But what did he go for in the second half, Drew? He was terrible. He was 0 for, 0 for 9. 9. Yep. 0 for 9, I believe. He got a little shot happy, I think. No, I, that that is incorrect. 0 for 9 was the team behind the arc yeah, overall. He was I, 0 for 4, I think, in the second or something. That sounds correct, and I'll double-check that stat for you here. But, yeah, okay, I honestly think that <laughs> game, each player was trying to do a little too much. And Godfrey agreed that Dennis Smith struggled. He was 3 of 13 from the floor, only 12 points. I think it was 4 or 5 assists. And he's got to figure out what he wants to be on that team. A scorer or a distributor. And in my opinion, he's not a scorer. He, he, I think he has the ability to, but Dennis Smith is not known for that. And, it, and point guards aren't. You know, I think NC State fans are used to seeing Cat Barber average 23 points a game because every play it was Cat drives or passes to someone on the baseline. So Dennis Smith is not going to have that kind of year. All right, he's not. You know, he. I still think he's a lottery pick. It's also two games of the season, so we'll figure it out. But I think he's a distributor. You know, I loved what I saw from Dennis Smith in terms of ball movement. I saw some plays and some passes that I have not seen in a while. We're talking C.J. Leslie days, and I liked what I saw from him there. I thought he definitely thought he was going to. He 
sometimes he gets a little shot happy. He was three of thirteen from the floor, over oh from oh for five behind the, beyond the arc, and Georgia Southern keyed in on him. You know they they showed him. You know what? They showed a full court press in the first half. They also showed a zone, his first college zone. You know he's a freshman. People have got to figure that out. That there's a big jump, and he's a year out of freaking basketball. You know he was hurt all of last year, and just think what it'd have been like if he didn't enroll early. It might be worse. So, while NC State fans are freaking out, I'm not worried. I think it's a matter of time before this team gels and really gets going. Well, while the Georgia Southern game, and, and is this an overstatement? It wasn't good. The result was palatable, but it wasn't good. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's fair to say. I'll agree with that. I don't agree with you a lot. Because on <laughs> Sunday, the act got cleaned up, it looked like. And let, and let me just tell you why it got cleaned up. Against Georgia Southern, he shot 43% overall. 58% shooting against St. Francis. That's tremendous. That's hot. Torin Doran led the way with 21 points. Ted Capita had 17. He was the second leading scorer. And Off this the was bench. a state. Off exactly. The bench. Off bench the bench points. Bench points, Drew. And this is this is a Georgia, uh, excuse me, a St. Francis team rather that went 12 deep off their bench. That's they played everybody, and NC State gave it to them. Four starters go in double figures. B.J. Anya has seven points. He was the lone starter who was out of it. Markel Johnson factors in three for four shooting, good for six points. Ted Capita, seven for eight. Torin Dorn, nine for 11 and a triple. Dennis Smith is the only guy who gets four personal fouls, which is surprising. But when he played his role and was a distributor of the basketball, I mean, it's not like hockey. You don't get secondary and tertiary assists in basketball. You just don't. But still, 12 points, three assists, and three rebounds. Rebounds from a point guard. And I'll never forget one of my first collegiate journalistic assignments was the NC State Louisville basketball game. And Rick Patino taught me this, that you want your point guard to have three to four rebounds a basketball game. That's good. And I like that from this team especially because that shows, okay, if we're going to say it's Dennis Smith's team, he's okay with not having to be the guy every night because he wasn't the guy against St. Francis. In fact, he was tied for the third leading scorer, and Abdul Malik Abu shot better than he did, going Mm -hmm. three for six. I like that because all of a sudden now you can digest NC State as a basketball team Team. and not as one guy. And if this team is going to have success, this is where it comes from. Because if you've got different guys on any given night who can go off, you don't have to worry about the key on Dennis Smith. And if he's going to be a good passer of the basketball, like you talked about, and get it to these scores, this is where NC State gets dangerous. And performances like this even get me just a little bit excited. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a big Torn Dorn fan, and it's great to see him go off because I think he is just – I mean, I know scouts were coming to practices earlier in the season, and they're looking at Dennis Smith. They're looking at Abu. They're looking at Terry. But people forget about Torn Doran. This guy was freshman of the year at um, in the conference of UNC Charlotte, the USA conference, I believe. And the guy's a stud. I mean, to say the least. To say the least. I mean, I remember when I was working the uh, the Georgia Southern game, just watching him dribble down the court and then have a little pull up jumper. Gosh, I. I swore it was Russell Westbrook watching that. So I love what I'm seeing from him. And 
I totally think you're right when you have a guy like Dennis Smith who can distribute the ball and have facilitate such great ball movement, good spacing on the court that anyone can go off. It's just who's having the good night, and that night it was Torn Dorn, and in the Georgia Southern game it was Terry Henderson. So it's nice to see that when, as you know, an NC State student, you're seeing Cal Barber have you know 25 points a game, which is great and all, but everyone else is getting five. So I'm excited. It's going to be interesting to see what they do in this Paradise Jam without Ted Capita and um, maybe Maverick Rowan, to be honest. You know, he's suffering some concussion-like symptoms, and you don't have Omer Yurcevin either. I think they get the job done at Montana, but it'll be interesting to see how the weekend pans out. I've got a, I've got a recap. I'm writing about that, so I'll be watching that closely. Well, and here's the really nice thing, and this provides an excellent segue into talking about what's coming up here. When you look at what the Paradise Jam holds for NC State, you know... It's two very good teams. Well, it is. It is two very, very good teams. And you're going to get a few games either way, win or lose. Right. Let's say NC State does beat Montana. I I mean, what, what do you like from Montana? I honestly see, I, know, I despite like... the absences of Capita... Um, and possibly Rowan. I think that's huge if Rowan doesn't play. I know people, not most people aren't a well, fan of Maverick Rowan. Well, it affects your strategy. It affects it your affects strategy, strategy because you've got the four guard play. Then what do you do? You're going to start a boo and Anya, I believe. And you go to a totally. I I agree with that. And I, I mean, I like Anya. I don't think he's a starter. I don't think he's the first man off the bench. To be honest, I think Capita or Hicks is the first man off the bench. You know, to get some. But you're going to ask him to be this weekend. But you're going to ask him to be the first man off the bench this weekend. So. I honestly see doesn't matter who's playing. I see NC State taking Montana out, and and I would agree with that. I think NC State wins that game if I had to pick it right now. But then you've got Creighton, mm. and that's ranked one, opponent. Ranked opponent, you've got Creighton, Washington State. Both of those teams, yep, could actually prove to be a little bit tougher than anybody you've played so far, and that's interesting because I think so early in the season. This is a nice proving ground for NC State basketball because they did this last year. Lost Arizona State but beat LSU. That was a big win. And it was a huge win at the time until the team tanked in ACC play. But NC State hasn't always had the greatest of success in these pre-conference schedule tournaments. Now you've got a team that could be competitive, and then let's say you do end up pulling that win – then you'll set up and play either Loyola Chicago, the Ramblers, St. Joseph's, or Roberts or Ole Miss. All of those, perhaps with the exception of Loyola, named opponents. And, you know, you win both the games, you find yourself playing a bonus game with a chance to win the Paradise Jam. And that would be a very nice little thing to hang your hat on. I think, actually, they are, I think despite... I thought it was despite they play. I thought they played Loyola no matter what. No, there there is a scheduled game against Loyola. Down oh, okay, the okay, that's down the correct. Yeah, yeah, correct, yeah, correct. So I mean, yeah, but they um, could get a little look at them. Before. Yeah, they could get a look at them. So, um, I doubt it though. St. Joe's is. Very I mean, good. honestly, you know, if NC State pulls something, I I I think NC State gets it done their first two games, and honestly, I see him playing Creighton, and if play, playing Creighton with a chance to play in the final. Yes, totally agree, and. That is going to be fun to watch. I'm going to be excited. I mean, I'm I'm a sucker for basketball, for college basketball. Mm-hmm. Bigger fan of college basketball than I am college football. But, gosh, I'm just excited, Drew. 
But go on, go on, go on. It's fair to say. And it'll be interesting because I think now is the time, more so than ever, that you've got a chance to prove yourself if you're the NC State Wolfpack and you're really chomping at the bit because the next named opponent you play, the next opponent where people go, oh, yeah, I know where that is, Illinois. Illinois. Mm -hmm. And then after that. It's really ACC play. You wait to play North Carolina in the Dean Dome in January. Is that their I'm is not, that their first I'm one? Not, I thought, I, I thought they had clear. Miami before that. You may be correct on but, that. Um, I'll, I'll go back and check the schedule. But, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, as an NC State fan non-conference, I'd like to see us play a stronger uh, non-conference. And, I mean, we're not we're not the Dukes. We're not the Kansas. I love watching it already. You know, watching Duke-Kansas last night, a thriller that was. Yeah, excellent. Kansas and Indiana, game. that was a great game. Michigan State. Michigan State got trashed by Kentucky. But um, I think the better way to say that is Kentucky trashed Michigan State. Yeah, basically. But um, like, yeah, I, I think it's good. I think NC State kind. I know people will critique their non-conference schedule, but I think that's good to where they are right now because I think NC State's on Creighton's level. I think it'll be a good game. I think it right now. Honestly, I think Creighton pulls it out. And just to clarify on the ACC schedule, you are correct. NC State plays North Carolina on January 7th. Their ACC opener is nice little 4.30 p.m. tip in Coral Gables, Florida on New Year's Eve. And then Virginia Tech at home on January the 4th. So give credit to Miami. I don't think they're going to be as good as they have been in the past. Still a good basketball team. But the big one is going to be North Carolina for your third ACC game, which will be very exciting. Let's go ahead and shift gears here, unless you have anything else to add about this men's basketball team, because I think we're going to have a whole lot to talk about next week in regards to this team, seeing how they play in the Paradise Jam. But uh, there's also another basketball team headed by Wes Moore, and that's a team that's looking to break through this year and has a whole lot of talent, and that's the women's basketball team. They took on the Hampton Pirates tonight, a nice neighbor to the north. uh, Not necessarily rivalry, but, you know, a little bit of... We might have looked at a player. You might have looked at a player. And NC State just goes to town on Hampton tonight, 81-56. to They're 3-0 so far, including an exhibition win against UNC Pembroke. But Wes Moore does this marvelous thing every single year where he coaches these ladies to be competitive in every single basketball game that they play. And you look at this team, they might be able to do something special this year. Oh, by the way, in case you were wondering, a little bit of history for you. The last basketball game played at the old Reynolds Coliseum was a Notre Dame win, ranked Notre Dame number three at the time. Oh, yeah. Notre Dame win over NC State by less than 20. So very, very good from NC State. And, you know, for fans out there, women's basketball, it's either you're really good, you're middle of the pack, or you're bad. And Notre Dame is just – is – just like UConn in basketball, safe to say, right? Uh, safe to say. In fact, this year they might be a little bit better. They're Which number is one. Crazy, but yeah, I mean, I think the women's basketball team, honestly, if they go in on December first and beat Indiana, I think they will be ranked before the men's basketball team. And that is very true because Indiana right now hovering right around the low twenties in rankings. I'd expect them to rise. But the ACC opening basketball game for the women's team comes December 29th. Number one Notre Dame in New Reynolds Coliseum will be just an absolute treat. 
Oh, by the way, the NC State women's team will also be competing in the Paradise Jam, Kansas State, UTEP, and LSU in the U.S. Virgin Islands. That will be coming up November 24th, 25th, and 26th, so that'll be exciting to watch as well. But what I want to ask you about, and, and you just alluded to sort of the culture of women's basketball and how you're either Syracuse, South Carolina, Notre Dame, Baylor, amazing. You've got a lot of teams that are right there in the middle of the pack, and then you've got the teams who, eh, nah, maybe not so much. But when you look at this NC State roster, and when you look at the players who are returning for this NC State team for Wes Moore and company, my question to you is, does this team have the potential to make a run like they did in the 2013-2014 women's basketball season where they ran through opponents? I mean, they beat ranked Syracuse. They beat number 8 Maryland. They gave North Carolina a real run for their money. You've got Maya Spencer returning for her senior year, Ashley Williams for her senior year, Chelsea Nelson as your leading scorer returning, Jennifer Matherin downstairs, and Dominique Wilson at the guard position as well. Those are all ladies who were integral to this team's success last year uh, playing outside of your home arena, it's exciting to see potentially what this team could do. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think they could make a run. Now, I mean, I won't go to as far as, you know, that 2013 season. But, I mean, they might be able to make some noise in, t- in, the, uh, in the NCAA tournament at the end of the season. I definitely think they make it. Uh, let's go ahead and put that out there. But um, I think, you know, they can possibly make a Sweet 16 run. I mean... I think this is a good team. I think this is a very talented team. Currently, I think they are ranked 35th in uh, power rankings That's or correct. AP poll. Um, but yeah, I like I like what they're doing. You know, they're uh, it's good to see them dominating the Pirates like that tonight because in women's basketball, you know, only the really premier teams dominate them. You know, we saw I think it was a 117 point win earlier in the season by Maryland over. Uh, I think it was Bluefield State, so, I mean, that's incredible. But to see NC State, you know, hand, handling a team by over 30 points, that's impressive, you know, with any any team. But I like what I'm seeing from them. I definitely like Dominique Wilson. I think in her senior campaign, she's just bound to go off. Uh, Chelsea Nelson, what can we say about her? I mean, she, what she, can't she, you say I mean, about exactly. her? Just tremendous. Like, I mean, tremendous, you know. I like what I'm seeing from this year. You know, it's a small lineup. You know, tallest girl. It will be a, a Kellen Mays, a junior, a 6'5". But you know, they're kind of playing this kind of same small ball as, as the men's basketball team. But, yeah, I definitely think uh, Westmore has this, this team ready to go and uh, definitely make a run during the season. And it will be very interesting to see what happens when they play the big dogs of the ACC because they're going to get a good majority of them and a good majority of them at home as well. Last major sport I want to talk about before we wrap things up with hockey is women's soccer. And this has just been a story to follow. Do you remember when the women's soccer team was sort of the joke of NC State Athletics? Two wins two seasons ago, four wins last year, and then Tim Santoro has just put together a masterpiece. And all of a sudden, the North Carolina State Wolfpack are in the second round of the NCAA tournament playing number 19 Pepperdine on Friday after upsetting number 8 Minnesota in penalty kicks last Saturday. That's that's a tremendous story, and there's so many fun players to watch. I'm a big Sydney Wooten fan. I think she's the heart and soul of this team. But you can look up and down this roster. They've got the ability to score. They've got the ability to play defense, as they showed against Minnesota. And what a special time it is for this Wolfpack team is now you never want to say it's an easier game because pressure mounts anytime you're in the tournament as rounds go further and further. But 
you've got number 19 Pepperdine, and you're an ACC school who just came off beating number eight. You'd really think NC State's got a shot to keep going in this tournament right now. Oh yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I remember my my first women's soccer game of the season was the finale, you know, to really put them over the hump into the in, into the ACC tournament um, against Pitt, where Zara King had a a great goal in overtime ahead or to uh, put the pack over uh, the Panthers. So, and that was to snap a four game losing streak. Yeah, too. yeah, as well. So. I, gosh, what can you say about this? I mean, what can't you say? This team is doing great, you know, shocking up, you know, shocking Minnesota. That that That's a huge confidence booster for them. And, I mean, I guess you could say it's an easier opponent. I mean, it's Pepperdine number 19 in the country and Palo Alto, California, will have them this weekend. I honestly think they got it. I mean, you look at Tim Stemtoro, and he, I, was a great, he was a great recruiter at Wake Forest. And, you know, the past two seasons, they struggled. He was the one who got Jackie Stengel here. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you see these teams, these this freshman this freshman crew, this is the first crop of players he recruited. So you see that this young talent, like, ooh, they're good. This is for, these freshmen are good. But you still have those senior leaders who are still leading the team. So I, I give the win to the Wolfpack against Pepperdine, to be honest. I'm excited. I mean, I, I don't know if it'll go down to PKs like it did at Minnesota, but it'll be a tough matchup for them, but I think they'll pull it out. And I can guarantee it's going to be a fun one to watch. Again, like that Minnesota game was, because we were doing the hockey game against North Carolina when NC State actually pulled the upset over Minnesota, but I went back and watched the highlights. This team is primed for victory. They're preparing well. They're going out there and they're executing well. And it's an impressive performance, and hats off to the coaching staff. Hats off to the young ladies who stuck with the program and have really grown it into be this nice little jewel on the NC State crown of athletics. Simply tremendous. In these final few minutes, though, I want to talk about a team that has not seen an ounce of struggle until February every year that I've been here at NC State. And that's the hockey team. For the first time, Ten games or more into a season, under Mike Gazzillo, the NC State hockey team is under 500, overall 5-6-1. They're third in the ACCHL Carolina division. That's good for fifth overall. That would be their lowest seeding in the tournament in the past five seasons. But Nick Sinopoli, this is a hockey team that just did something I never thought I'd see happen. They just lost to North Carolina at home. North Carolina has not beaten Mike Gazzillo in Raleigh since joining the NC State bench seven years ago. They have never beaten him in Raleigh until Saturday night. In fact, he's only lost to them now three times. Before that game, he'd only lost to them twice, once back in 2011 in Hillsborough and once in the 2015 ACCHL Admirals Cup semifinal. But that team came out and in the first period especially laid a giant goose egg. And I'm going to beat the dead horse here for about 20 seconds, but it's for a point. Yes, we all know that it's getting better because you haven't lost these players for a whole season. Yes, we know Will Bieberdorf is trying to come back in January. Yes, we know Sam Banishevitz is going to be available come January. Most likely, Tyler Alphen said he's going to be ready. Everybody else who's been nicked, banged, bruised, whatever, they're going to have six weeks to rest and be ready to go in January. But Nick Sinopoli, is it not a little bit concerning at this point that you're playing the future of your program and they can't even do so much as compete against teams that normally you would be beating. Oh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't bode well for this team. I mean, honestly, I think 
come February, I think this is honestly a dangerous team in the ACCHL tournament because I think people will forget about NC State because they've been struggling so much this season. But yeah, it is concerning. I mean, there are some bright spots on the team. I like what I see from Owen Drugan, Eric Johnston, Brady Perro. But yeah, it's concerning because, you know, hockey here at Pac TV is a big deal. And hockey watch, here at NC State's a big deal. Hockey here at NC State's a big deal. And yeah, honestly, it's the offense, it's the forwards. I honestly thought it was going to be the opposite. Because so there are just barely any defensemen on this team. But the forwards just aren't getting it done. I mean, I know you've got these lines are mixed and matched with the amount of injuries you have. But it seems that no one stepped up. And it seems in Sam Banaszewicz and Will Beaverdorf's absence, the only source of offense has been Danny Fredberg and, and Luis Jimenez. Jimenez. Yeah, and you're right on that. But I'm not going to let the defense and the goaltending escape what I'm about to say. Because Joey Hall should be the starter. Well, I'm not even going to go so far as to say that. Because I have faith in Calvin Stone, and I always will because I've seen him at his best. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of people now have seen him at, I'm sure, what he would say is his worst. But let me tell you this. Because I played this game for 13 and a half years. You win as a team, you lose as a team. And right now, there is nobody on the team that is stepping up. The best individual performance I have seen all season long was Joey Hall's goaltending performance at Maryland. Undoubtedly, in my undoubtedly, that sticks out to me as that is a guy who wanted to go out there and win the hockey game. You're the right. State comes up a goal short. That was one of my favorite games in all of hockey I've watched. And and good for you to be able to go up there and see it. And tremendous call on your part, by the way. Really enjoyed doing that game with you. But the defense lacks passing ability. Yep. The breakout passing is atrocious. And you have no neutral zone presence. And that's been an issue for NC State since the beginning of this team when I started covering them. Is NC State has one degree of separation from greatness. And that is no neutral zone presence. Once the defensemen get the puck up to the forwards, their entry into the offensive zone lacks. Because either they don't have the speed or they don't have the strategy. The forward check's not there. I think the back check's getting better. But it's all about what you do in the neutral zone and then your attacking zone right now. And the thing is, with a breakout, the most important pass you have is the first, and the next most important pass you have is the second. The degree of importance of passing starts with the first, goes to the second, third, and so on and so forth. That's the way hockey is taught. And right now, the defensemen are scared to make the first pass, and they're playing timid. And as a result, they're overthinking their passes, they're either overshooting their forwards, they're undershooting them, and they're turning the puck over. I don't know how many times I saw North Carolina take the puck in the neutral zone, and then because in some cases they got mismatches with speed, Brendan Radatovich and A.J. Hamel, they went streaking down the ice and scored. And if it wasn't that... More like Jonah, Graf- uh, Jonah Grafius. Jonah Grafius as well. Incredible. He had a rebound yeah. goal. I mean, what is two. going on right now... What is going on right now is you're seeing NC State hockey as it as its absolute worst. This is the seller. It cannot get worse from here, I don't personally believe. <laughs> if you lose to Duke. Well, if you lose to Duke, you've lost to a good goaltender and the ACCHL's top scorer, Travis I mean, Yeah, Buck. you lose to Nick Barra and Travis Buck, but, I mean, it's, I, I that's like, it. <laughs> I like Alex Velocian. I think Miles Newman is a very good defenseman as well. 
But, you know, we'll see. You got Duke Saturday night, and then you get six weeks off. But, you know, somewhere there's got to be a leader on this team. And, unfortunately, right now, the leader on this team is injured and not out there on the ice wearing the number two sweater, Sam Banishevitz. Who's got to be the leader now? Because you're going to lose Danny Danny Fredenberg after this Duke game. This is his final game in an NC State sweater, and hats off to him for a tremendous career. Luis Jimenez is a playmaker. He doesn't necessarily like to be the finisher, I don't think. But somebody's got to step up here. You know, I couldn't look, I honestly couldn't tell you looking up and down this roster who can step up because there's just not anyone like Sam Banashevitz who backs up his talk with his play and has a presence in the huddle. Because this guy gets everyone fired up. He he gets ticked. You know, I remember when he was up in the booth with us, um, in the next room over, he was absolutely infuriated oh, by the play. It, it was and not, not not just the play, but just the fact that he couldn't get out there and do anything about it. And I know Sam, we're friends with Sam, and I know he's ticked about it. And, you know, it's kind of like the rescue squad with, you know, Mark Godfrey, where all you can do is just look down on the bench and say, gosh, I wish I could play these yeah, guys. Yeah, I wish the guy in suits had sweaters on. Right. Yeah, because there's nothing much you can do. And, you know, to talk a little bit about, you know, the defensive criticisms you were talking about, the one I'd like to harp on is I've had many talks, you know, with Co- uh, Coach Wang, you know, between the between second and third period about the rebounds. The goalies aren't playing incredibly bad. Now, Joey, Joey Hall has been playing great, I think, jo- this season. He I had think one slip playing, up against Virginia Tech. He had one slip yeah. up against Virginia Tech. But most of the goals against him this season have been off the rebounds. The defense, The defensemen have been out of position, there's no one out there defending defending the rebounds. You know, these guys are, you know, laying body checks, but you need to be, you know, hitting the puck out of the guy's possession. And that's just not what they're doing. They're they're getting some nice backdoor looks, easy ones, that the defense should be there, but they're not. They're out of position, you know, just standing around the goal. I don't know, waiting for Joey Hall to make another incredible save. And while he makes incredible saves, he can't do that every five seconds, and that's what the team's asking him to do because there's no offensive attack, there's no neutral zone presence, and you're putting all you're putting the the outcome of the game on the goalie's shoulders, and it just hasn't been working. Well, out. and and the other thing, and we'll end our hockey conversation with this: NC State in their past five games has scored a grand total of ten goals, two goals per game in the last five. That's not going to win you very many hockey games. In fact, it hasn't won you a hockey game. It's tied you one. That's the best you're going to be able to hope for. They haven't won in exactly, I, mean, I think in two days will be a month. And, and that's insane. I never thought we'd be sitting here talking about this. Uh, the other thing that you've also discussed with Coach Jeff Wing is penalties taken. Yep. NC State's got to stay out of the penalty box. Did a nice job against North Carolina for the most part of staying disciplined. couple uncharacteristic penalties, but nothing that cannot be fixed. Nick, I'm going to end the show in the fashion that Chris Lehman used to end it with uh, when he was still here co-hosting the show with me. And I'd like to give you an opportunity to shout out to anybody, anywhere that you'd like to as we end the show with shout-outs here. Any NC State athlete, anybody who you think deserves a shout-out, you know, anybody from the women's soccer team to your puppy. Yeah, gosh, NC State, anyone who is just straight balling right now. Oh, yes, God. straight. Uh, I mean, straight they're balling. They're all they're all straight balling. You know, <laughs> I mean, if I had to give a shout out, 
I definitely give a shout out to my boy Kelvin Harmon. I uh, he's he's killing it this year. Um I think honestly he's the best wide receiver on this NC State team. You know, one of the things that I loved about him this season was he had an incredible catch against Louisville, I believe. It was on He's had a few incredible catches. Oh, it was Boston, it was Boston season. College and it was a touchdown catch and it was on um ESPN. And because Randy Moss does this thing called where you get mossed. Because Randy Moss, of course, you know, an incredible wide receiver. And his son plays for NC State. That is Moss. And it was just showing that catch. And he was saying, you got mossed. So the the future is bright for Kelvin Harmon, to say the least. I love what he's doing this year. Could be an NFL receiver. In fact, might be the best receiver. I, I'm going to go ahead and say this. And this is high praise Uh-oh. because th- this was my favorite NC State football player, all-time favorite. He could be the next Torrey Holt. Ooh. Awesome. I, I think he he's that good. He's shown that much promise as a freshman. So your shout-out is to Kelvin Harmon. <laughs> Actually, that was going to be one of mine. Um, I'd like to give a shout-out to the NC State women's soccer team. What they are doing is they are proving that there are three triangle-area soccer teams at the women's level that can compete. We've all grown up hearing about North Carolina and Mia Hamm and the legend that is women's soccer with Anson Dorrance at North Carolina. Duke has an excellent women's soccer program. Wake Forest has an excellent women's soccer program. Clemson, Boston College, Florida State, all of them excellent soccer programs at the women's level and the men's level for some of them. But I do want to give one shout-out, a couple of them actually. One of them is to a family member of mine who has since passed on, and that would be my grandmother. Today is actually her birthday. She would have been 77 years old, and I miss her a little bit more every day, but I know that she has a whole and complete body in heaven now after battling Alzheimer's so valiantly. And you will definitely see the purple ribbon that I wear on my lapel for some hockey broadcasts and other events as well. That is for her specifically. Purples was the Alzheimer's color. So certainly thinking of her on what would have been her 77th birthday. The other shout-out that we have to give is more of sending thoughts, prayers, and condolences to other teams throughout the ACCHL. North Carolina lost their assistant coach, Dick Lefty Marr, last Thursday after a fall in his home. He was 80 years old. Very influential man in hockey, especially as it relates to the Northeast. He was a director of the United States Hockey Hall of Fame and also was the host of the 1980 Norwegian Olympic hockey team. He was the host for them. Certainly he will very much be missed as he was a fixture on the North Carolina bench. And the High Point Panthers lost their head coach on Friday evening into Saturday morning. Coach John Voss collapsed in the locker room just prior to taking the ice against the North Carolina State Wolfpack. The game that night was canceled. Voss was revived by doctors on site in the locker room, but passed away on Saturday morning, and it really was quite uh, a sobering feeling, and Nick, you were there. It just didn't quite feel right knowing the tragedy that had happened and knowing that there were some absences in the hockey community as State took the ice on Saturday night, but uh, certainly, you know, it makes you realize that what we do is we cover games. They are not life and death, though they may seem like that in the moment, but there's something a whole lot bigger than what we actually do. Oh, yeah, and it was um, hats off to the, the Tar Heels for pulling out the win that night. You know, they were motivated, and I'm glad they got to uh, pull out one for their coach. It was definitely for him that night. Um, it was a motivated team. It's it's just really crushing to see, you know, two hockey legends of the ACHL to, to um, leave us so soon um, and with their families. Uh, prayers with their families, excuse me. Yes, our thoughts, prayers, 
and well wishes go to the Voss and Marr families as we know they have lost their loved ones, and that is always a difficult process to go through. So we send our best here from PAC-TV out to all of you and the High Point University and University of North Carolina hockey families. That is going to wrap it up for our show. Nick, This is just, it has been a great show, I think. We had some really good pieces of analysis. You know, it is just so much fun to, to come together and do these, and, you know, I, I think we got a lot out of this one. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, hot takes coming at you. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. You've just been given the state of Wolfpack Athletics. The Howler is brought to you by White Street Brewing Company. We hope you'll join us again next week. Thanks for joining us. See you later. Thanks for listening to The Howler, a service of Wolfpack Sports Television. Find out more at go.ncsu.edu slash sports.